All right, let's go ahead and find our seats this morning. You need to raise that volume. call. It is time. You have been called. I invite you to return to your seats now. You know, we're, uh, we're in, the ho- in the holidays. As I said, this is the, uh, this is the Shabbat between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. So tomorrow evening, we're starting the 7th and the final holy day on God's calendar, Sukkot. And uh, so we're going to talk about that today. Um, I'm just going to, my, my time spending with you this morning, we're going to just kind of go through some history. So it's going to be a little bit of history, um, talking about some tradition as well today. And so we're going to start in Leviticus 23, where this, this should be uh, your primary source material. If you're going to go and talk about the holidays of God, you go to Leviticus 23. That's one of the, I mean, comprehensively, it has all of them in there, okay? Um, and so it's, it's a great place to start when you're thinking about the holidays, Leviticus 23. So Sukkot's toward the end of there, so we're going to start in verse 33 today, Leviticus 23, starting in verse 33. Um, it says, And Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to B'nai Israel and say, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month is the feast of Sukkot, for seven days to Adonai. On the first day there is to be a holy convocation. You are to do no laborious work. For seven days you are to bring an offering by fire to Adonai. The eighth day will be a holy convocation to you, and you are to bring an offering by fire to Adonai. It's a solemn assembly. You shall do no laborious work. And then if we skip down uh, to uh, verse 39... It says, so on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruits of the land, you are to keep the feast of Adonai for seven days. This, the first day is to be a Shabbat rest. On the eighth day is also a Shabbat rest. On the first day, you are to take choice fruit of trees, branches of palm trees, bows of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before Adonai your God for seven days. You are to celebrate it as a festival to Adonai for seven days in the year. It's a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it in the seventh month, and you are to live in Sukkot for seven days. All the native born in Israel may, so, are to live in Sukkot, so that your generations may know that I had B'nai Israel to dwell in Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Adonai, your God. And I'm walking towards the back of the sanctuary because I have some examples here, and I just didn't bring them up with me. Um, by the way, um, I'm not selling them today, but I have some extra, uh, a couple of extra lulavs and, and etrogs. So these are, the, these are a few of the uh, species that are mentioned there at the end of Leviticus uh, chapter 23. Um, it talks about, uh, we, they call them the four species, the, the choice fruit of the trees, the branches of the palms, the bows of leafy trees, and the willows of the brook. Um, so some of them are actually in the refrigerator downstairs because if I don't leave them in there, they will, they will go bad. Um, but this is a palm leaf. 
These were shipped in from Israel last week. So we've got a, a leafy, uh, one, of the, one of the palms, you can see there. We've got something that looks like a lemon, but it's not. It's an etrog. So this is one of the choice fruit of the trees that we have. And so um, I've got a few extras of these. These are, I'm not, I'm not going to sell them to you today on, on Shabbat. This went right through the, uh, the packaging here. Um, but they're fifty dollars if you if you're interested in one. I've got I think I've got two extras, um, if you want to have one of these for yourself. But um, we'll be we will be uh, doing all of the the ceremony with uh, holding these and and holding the palms and the myrtle and the willow. We'll do that next Shabbat as we're celebrating Sukkot together. So I'm going to return these to uh, to the back here, and if you want to see them after the service, you can check it out and look at them, hold them. Because um, they're pretty cool, and we only see them once a year uh, when we when we have them shipped in from Israel. So that Leviticus 23 shares um, some of the key characteristics of the day, and if so, if we were to make a list, I, I went through and made a list of uh, some of those characteristics of the day um, or of the week. So some of the specific details of that is that it begins on the 15th day of the seventh month. It lasts for seven days, the first of which is a Shabbat-like day where Israel is instructed to take the four species and rejoice before God. And then um, third, there is an eighth day tacked on to the end to gather together again. And so that's the third uh, of, of, the, of the details. The fourth one is that Israel is to live in tents during this time, during this week. The fifth is that this is not a one-time event. Okay, this was to be celebrated year after year. Um, we were talking in Torah study this morning about Lador Vador, generation to generation, how the, these holidays are intended for us to pass on to our children from generation to generation the things of the Lord. And so that's the fifth item that I got out of there. And the sixth one is that, the, again, the purpose of it is, is, it, is to remind every generation, so this is the Lador Vador, that God had Israel live in tents when he brought them out of Egypt. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. It's going to kind of be the second half of my message about, about the living in the tents part of it. Okay? So if we, that's Leviticus 23. If we looked elsewhere in Torah, so um, Exodus 23, 14 through 17, and then Deuteronomy 16, uh, chapter 16, 13 through 15, talk about how um, Sukkot is very similar to Passover and to Shavuot, in that these are the three pilgrimage holidays, as they are called. Okay? So... These are the three holidays that God said, you are to appear before me. So all the other holidays you could do in your, where you're at, you know, in your hometown. Um, but these three were, God said, you are to appear before me. And so wherever God was, you know, so if it was in the tabern- time of the tabernacle or the time of the temple um, in Jerusalem, you, the, the Israelites were to go and be together there. So you can imagine if the Israelite population is coming to one place, just how many people are around. A lot of people are packed. And, and, I, and I preached about this, I don't know, several years ago. I talked about, and I'm not going to talk on it today, but about the possibility of this is when Yeshua was born. Um, you can, there's some scriptures to back it up, um, but you know, one of, the, uh, <clears throat> one of the things we know 
is that there was no room in the inn, right? And uh, there's a reason there was no room, because everybody was in Jerusalem. It was packed, and, and they were also in the nearby towns, because you couldn't all stay in Jerusalem. Bethlehem was pretty, is pretty close to Jerusalem, just a stone's throw away, really, a, a short five-mile walk, maybe, um, short walk. Some of us are like, five miles? <laughs> Short for them, okay? Short for them. You have to think about their culture. Okay. So that's, uh, that's in the Torah. That, that we talked about Leviticus, Exodus, and Deuteronomy, um, describing Sukkot in the Torah. In, in the prophets, um, it talks about Sukkot as well. In, in Nehemiah, um, chapter 8, um, verses 13 through 18, we can read about how the Israelites came back from their Babylonian exile. And they, when they did that, they, um, Ezra, the scribe, he, read, he got out of a Torah scroll and he read to them. He read to the people. They found a Torah scroll and he read it to the people. And in that reading, they relearned about Sukkot. And, and this talks about in response to that. It says, in, starting in verse 16 of Nehemiah 8, it says, the people went out in response to the hearing of this. They went out and, bought and brought branches and made Sukkot for themselves, each on their own roof, in their courtyards, and in the courtyards of the house of God, and in the plaza before the water gate, and in the plaza of the Ephraim gate. The entire assembly who had returned from the captivity made Sukkot and dwelt in the Sukkot. Since the days of Joshua the son of Nun, until that day, B'nai Israel had not done so. And the joy was very great. And day after day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the scroll of the Torah of God, so they kept the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, according to the regulation, there was a solemn assembly. So we know that, that they began to keep Sukkot again at that point in time, um, which also infers to us negatively, that, and it tells us directly, that since the days of Joshua the son of Nun, they didn't do this. Um, since Joshua died, their obedience died also with keeping Torah, including the celebration of Sukkot. Um, and that's, you know, if, so if you read the book of Judges, that's pretty obvious uh, that the obedience of the children of Israel was like completely gone away. That's why God sent judge after judge after judge after judge trying to correct the people, and uh, they were straying far from him. But once they started celebrating Sukkot again, when they returned from captivity, it seems as if they kept it going because, in fact, when Yeshua comes, they are still doing Sukkot. And even after Yeshua came during the time of the apostles, they continued to do Sukkot. And we see an example of Yeshua and Sukkot in John chapter 7. So if you go to John chapter 7, there's an interaction um, that Yeshua had with those he's teaching. And, and he has gone to, to, to Jerusalem there, but it says on, uh, in, in John chapter 7, um, starting in verse 39, it says that on the last and greatest day of the feast, Yeshua stood up and cried out loudly, if, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Ruach, whom those who trusted in him were going to receive. For the Ruach was not yet given, since Yeshua was not yet glorified. And you're like, well, what does that have to do with Sukkot? Very good question. 
So in the context of this, um, if you were to read prior to this, you would see that this feast is, it is talking about the Feast of Sukkot here, okay? Um, and I already mentioned this is a pilgrimage feast, so Yeshua, he went to the feast in Jerusalem, and of course, it's packed with people. He is there teaching those around him, and if you read earlier in chapter 7, it says that he taught with authority. He was teaching there, and he was teaching with authority there. Now, there were a lot of traditions that grew up around Sukkot, just as with any holiday. And one of them that they had there in Jerusalem was Semchat Beit HaShoavah, which is the water, fest- the water drawing or the water pouring festival um, time. And they did this every day during Sukkot. And it was a really big deal. Um, if you were to go into the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, it says that anyone who has not seen the rejoicing at the place of the water drawing is in his life has never seen rejoicing. So if you, if you, you don't know what rejoicing is until you've seen the water drawing. That's what, they, that's what the Talmud says, that you don't know what it's like. And, and so we're, and Yeshua, he's, he's on the last and greatest day of the feast, it says there in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says the last and greatest day of the feast. So you know what that's called? This is Hoshana Rabbah. That's, that's the last and greatest day of the feast. And that's what that day is. And, and the water drawing on Hoshana Rabbah was even bigger, okay? It was like the biggest, biggest deal. This is, you could kind of compare it to like when the, the children of Israel were circling Jericho and like they did it once, but then on the last day they did it seven times. This is like Hoshana Rabbah. It's like they're doing it hugely, like seven times the, the size. It's a big, big deal. It says, in fact, the priest would circle the altar seven times on Hashanah Rabbah. They would. That's what he would do. And he would pour the water in the basin. As he circled the altar, the music would play, the ram's horns would be blasting, and the people would be singing repeatedly, repeatedly, Hoshiana, Hoshiana, Baruch Hababa Shem Adonai. That's what they'd be crying out. Lord, Lord, we beg you. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, they're singing this, and Yeshua's there. He's there with them. And they're pouring this water out, and he's there with them. And they're, they're just praising the Lord. And Yeshua's there, and they're crying out. They're, they're actually crying out. One of the things they're crying out for is rain. Okay, This is kind of a rain a harvest thing, and they're, they're crying out for rain because if you go to Israel this time of year, after Sukkot, that's when they want the rain. That's when they need the rains, and it's traditionally when the rains do come. They're praying for rain, but they're also referencing the Holy Spirit and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and they know they are. They're doing so from Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, where it says, Behold, God is my salvation, and we sing this song, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord my God is my strength and my song, and he also has become my salvation. With joy, I will draw for, you will draw forth water from the wells of salvation. They're referencing that. And so this is all tied together. And Yeshua is there. And there's this, this frenzy this, of messianic expectation. And this is Hoshana Rabbah. And he says, and he stands up and he says, he proclaims loudly there, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. Come to me and drink. That's what he says. He says that because he is the salvation. Whoever believes in me, 
as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And he did so, as I said, he taught this with authority. Okay? He was not like one of the other teachers who was just repeating somebody else. He's teaching with authority. Inviting people to come receive the living water. Come receive the Holy Spirit from him. And that, that's incredible. He was claiming to be a Messiah in front of him right there. And some of, it says, the scripture says, some of them recognized him as Messiah right there. They knew it. They could see it happening. And they knew it was happening. And that's awesome. So we're not going to do a water drawing festival here, but we are going to praise the Lord. Um, and it's going to be wonderful tomorrow night. And we're going to do, we're going to praise the Lord when we're out camping. We're going to come back here and praise the Lord um, at Shemini at Zeret, the eighth day assembly. <laughs> she asked, aren't we drawing water now? Yeah, you can hear the, the behind me, you can hear the circulating water in the mikveh, and I will also invite you too, and there are some who've already expressed interest in, in the mikveh, um, if that's something that you uh, are interested in, um, we have, the mikveh is open for you, um, if you want to use it personally, or if you are wanting to be immersed in the Messiah Yeshua, um, we are, would love to do that for you. That's kind of a side note, but super important side note. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I want, to, want you to know that, yes, you do hear the water behind me. Um, so that's, that's a, just, I wanted to share that with you, some context about the day and, the, and some history there about, about the day. Um, in addition to some other, uh, a small other tidbit of history is that, yes, Sukkot did continue, of course, after the time of Yeshua, into the time of the apostles. Um, and, and of course they did this because, well, A, the temple was still around, B, you know, um, even, even as Yeshua does fulfill the holidays, um, we still, you know, prophetically believe this is a yet-to-be-fulfilled holiday, um, and, and Sukkot would be, continue to be celebrated, and, and that's why we continue to celebrate it even today with him coming, you know, it's still yet to be fulfilled, you know, some of them we, we celebrate, you know, looking back and praising the Lord, now we're, we're also looking forward praising the Lord here and, and celebrating that time, but even, even then, and um, in the first century, they were celebrating it. And it kind of became this cultural um, symbol for them, um, especially for those who were rebelling against Rome uh, during that time. So if you, if you, they have found actually coins from the first century from the, the rebellions of 66 CE uh, and uh, the Bar Kokhba rebellion in 134 CE. Um, and on these coins, these, these coins that are, were uh, minted, um, by the Jewish people then, they have symbols of Sukkot on them. So they've got palms, they've got etrogs, they've got uh, the uh, hanging fruit in the form of bundles of grapes. They, I, I haven't done enough research to tell you why they used the symbols of Sukkot. Um, maybe it was because it was a, a symbol of freedom. Symbol of the king as well. There you go. And, of course, they weren't about to let Rome be their king. Um, that was their, their rebellion there. Um, so that's just, a, 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 again, a historical side note. Um, but at, you know, at that time, when the temple was destroyed in 70 CE, rabbinical Judaism developed... Well, it, wasn't, it didn't start then, but it, it became the, the ruling 
class of, of the Jewish people at that point in time, though. And, and that's, it became the dominant form of the religion, and it really evolved since that point in time. And I'm not going to try and tell you everything that he, has evolved around Sukkot um, and all the traditions that has evolved around Sukkot since that time, except for one. And the one I want to tell you about and talk to you about is the reading of the book of Ecclesiastes, the tradition of that at Sukkot. And the reason I want to talk about that is because it seems a little bit antithetical. Like, why would you want to read Ecclesiastes? That book is so depressing, right? Why would you want to read that? We're talking about a joyous holiday. So, we're going to, read, we're going to talk about that today. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes, or as the Hebrew calls it, Kohelet. Um, I'm not going to use Kohelet. I'll just use Ecclesiastes as our common vernacular. Um, but a lot of people do read Ecclesiastes, and, they, and they're like, wow, this is just depressing. Um, some people are like, why is this in the Bible? And I will tell you that a closer reading of the book really unveils a theme of joy. It does. It unveils a theme of joy. Um, and without going into Ecclesiastes right off, I'm going to tell you about Philippians chapter 4. Uh, the Apostle Paul, Ralph Shaul, in, in his letter to the congregation there at Philippi, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me, though you were concerned before but lacked the opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For whatever circumstance I am in, I have learned to be content. I know what it is to live with humble means. I know what it is to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment both to be filled and to go hungry, to have abundance and to suffer need. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. And I mention that because of the way that uh, Sukkot, in this time, reminds us where our rejoicing should lie. In the Lord, and not in, you know, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, not in our circumstances. You know, so in Sukkot, in this week, we are about to forego the luxury of living in comfortable homes with, you know, all of our material possessions around us. And we're instructed to go and rejoice in the Lord and the freedom that we have in Him while we live in our tents. And our joy is to be complete in Him during this week. Our joy is to be complete in Him, not in our material possessions or our position in life or in the good things that we have and we might be tempted to elevate above the Lord. And so this is why the reading of Ecclesiastes is so important at Sukkot. Because the author of Ecclesiastes, he was King Solomon, right? Um, and he was the wisest and richest man that ever lived that we know of. And he was able to do anything that he wanted to do. And he could have anything he wanted to have, any pleasure that he wanted to have, he could have it. And it appears that he tried pretty much everything. <laughs> he did. He did, not, it, he did not deny himself. And in the end, what he found was that true joy could only come in the Lord. True joy could only come in the Lord. True joy was not found in the pleasures of life or in the luxuries of life. You know, he tried, as I said, he tried everything. He was searching. They all left, they all left him empty. 
Everything left him just lacking. He discovered that the joy is found in accepting God's blessings, in the simple pleasures of life. And so you, you read him talking about things like eating and drinking with, you know, with people, um, he, he, the simple pleasures of life, and those things that we can't store up either, okay? Um, you can't store up for the future, but you enjoy them in the moment. Uh, like, have you ever taken a picture of something really cool, something really special, and then you look at it later, and you're try- or you're showing somebody later, and you're like, oh, well, that, does, that doesn't do it justice. It was so, you, you, had to, you had to be there, right? The picture just doesn't do it justice, you know? Um, or maybe you, you, have a, a special, you saw a special smile on a child or you enjoyed a quick hug. You know, life is full of moments that we can't capture and store up. Okay? And Solomon realized that he had to live in the present as well um, and rejoice in what God, the simple things that God had put in front of him. And so... He talks about, at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book, too, he talks about an interesting concept or an idea. He uses this Hebrew word, hevel, in in Ecclesiastes. So if you were to look in the very first chapter of Ecclesiastes, and you're also to look in in the end, but in the very first chapter, in verse 2, in the Hebrew, it begins, hevel havalim amar kohelet, hevel havalim hakal havel. I said the word Havel five times in there. And you can read that, and in some of your English translations, it might use words like meaningless, worthless, vanity, vanity of vanities, to, to, to translate those. And I will tell you that outside of Ecclesiastes, this word Havel is translated as vapor or breath. That's, that's where it's translated. So you can go to Isaiah 57 as an example, Proverbs 21. Those are examples of where this word is used and found, and it's translated as vapor or breath. But then we get to Ecclesiastes, and our English translations are saying, no, it means vanity, it means worthless, it means meaningless, you know, all these wasteful things. And I would suggest to you that maybe we should stick with the vapor or breath here, understanding of Ecclesiastes, because it's, it's telling us that not everything in life is worthless or vain or meaningless, but life is temporary. Life is fleeting. And to expect deep-seated joy from temporary and fleeting things is foolishness. And it's always going to end in our disappointment. We will never find satisfaction in those things. The source of our joy, then even in Sukkot, isn't in the fact that we're dwelling in tents or you know, in these temporary houses that we own, even though we call them permanent houses. Um, they're, they are very, still very temporary. Um, our joy isn't in the health of our bodies or our long life. Our bodies are temporary. But our joy is in the eternal God that we worship. Our joy is in the eternal God that we worship. The problem that I struggle with, though, and, I, and you might struggle with it too, is elevating these temporary things in life, to positions of importance that they should not occupy. We, I do this. Um, just as I, uh, you know, 
take really important things for granted. I mentioned this in my message on Yom Kippur. I take really important things for granted. Sometimes I take things that are not important and I elevate them to where they shouldn't be. And I spend my time and my efforts sometimes trying to capture those, those things and those fleeting moments, you know, and help and collect them and help me remember all those fleeting moments and help me to capture them and collect them. Or, you know, just in trying to spend my time and effort to take care of all these temporary things or to desire all those temporary things and, and have those things. And, and we think about this word, havel, uh, vapor or breath. Um, Solomon uses that word there at the beginning. And I said he also uses it at the end of the book, too. So this, you can think of Ecclesiastes as like a Havel sandwich, okay? And, and it, he provides this, uh, dishes out some serious wisdom in his Havel sandwich. You know, he's like, you know, like a knuckle sandwich, right? Dishing it out. He's dishing out some serious win- wisdom in his Havel sandwich, um, talking about things that are just temporary. They're just, they're just a breath. Uh, uh, they're a vapor, and I will tell you that that's some wisdom that we need right now. That's some wisdom that I need right now. You know, our generation, we live in a generation that packs our schedules so incredibly tightly. So tightly, because we have this fear of missing out on something. If we don't do everything, we have to do it all. And I can't miss out on it, so I have to do it all. And, you know, in fact, I was working on this sermon... And I was talking to Lisa, and I was ex- just expressing my frustration at how full my schedule was. It's like, I was, I was just listening off thing after thing. I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I need to go do this. I want to go do that. And I can't even, like, resp- I'm like, I can't even respond to the request of my kids who are here, and they want me to go do something with them. And, and I, was just, I was just getting so frustrated, even just as I was working on this message, because it's like my schedule was so full. And honestly, though, I mean, I don't think I actually pack my schedule as much as others. I was at my, uh, my aunt's funeral uh, last Saturday, and I was talking to one of my cousins there, and he was just describing to me his schedule, and I was like, holy cow, dude. Like, you are insane. Like, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how you even breathe. And, but really, that's just typical of America. We, we here in the West, at least, um, we run at a pace that has never before seen in history, I think. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily true all over the world, though I think our culture is tending to influence more of the worldwide culture towards that. But there are cultures who take pride in doing nothing. Like, take pride in just sitting and doing nothing. It's like waiting in line like all day long. Like, you do that? Yeah, they do that. Like, they do nothing. Like, there are cultures like that, but I think our, our Western culture is influencing this, you know, this productivity culture, this FOMO culture, fear of missing out. Um, and we in America are kind of leading that. We're like, we got to do it all. And you know, we can't even keep up with ourselves, right? And, and the problem is that uh, it, we suffer for it. it got, we, we pay the price of it because we don't ever take time to breathe. You know, we, don't, we don't do that. We don't take time to reflect on things. I was mentioning that on, on Yom Kippur about you know, just even having the difficulty to do a self-reflection because if you never do it, you don't even know where to start because all you're doing is go, 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 and you don't have time to sit and think about where you've been or who you're going with, right? 
And, and so we relegate our relationships to text messages and to social media reactions, and we just get like so shallow and because we just don't have time. We don't allow ourselves time. And our relationships suffer. My relationships suffer with my family. Uh, it suffers. It might suffer. My relationships with you suffer. If I'm packing my schedule too tightly, my relationships are going to suffer. And that's not a good thing. It's one of the reasons I love Shabbat, though. I love Shabbat today. I love my poor house when we gather for Shabbat dinner because that's a time when we just sit there and we relax. We enjoy each other's company. We chat, see what God's doing in their lives, in each other's lives. God knows that we need that. He knows that we need our weekly Sabbath days. He knows that we need Sukkot, too. And he gives us that. Just like he gave us a total day of rest on Wednesday this week, on Yom Kippur. He's now giving us seven days to rejoice in him. And an eighth day, too. Seven days plus one to rejoice in him while we get to dwell in a sukkah. Now, I might not be necessarily rejoicing in the sukkah itself, but I'm rejoicing in the fact that I get this forced blessing to reset myself and enjoy the relationships with important people that God has put into my life. I'm getting a forced blessing over the next week to reset myself and enjoy the relationships with important people that God has put into my life. And yet, even those people and those relationships are fleeting. They're a havel, they're a vapor, they're a breath. You know, I, my kids are growing up. I, other than my new baby, they're not so small anymore. Um, I don't get all the same, you know, cuddly interactions with them. I, I kind of miss that. You know, I don't have all those special moments. I'm getting a little bit older. My parents are getting older. The generations above me are passing away. I went to my aunt's funeral last weekend. I went to another funeral yesterday. And, you know, we, say, we said the cottage this week for Rabbi John. You know, life is but a moment. It's fleeting. Our relationships are. We don't, we don't, I don't want to think about that negatively, though. I want to think about it more in the sense of like carpe diem, seize the day, right? Uh, you know, having that type of a posture. We seize the day, the moments in our day, and we bless the Lord, and then we return to the work that he has given to us refreshed. And that's really the message of Ecclesiastes for Sukkot. That we stop. That we sit down. We enjoy the simple pleasures and, and the life that God has given to us and the relationship that people, we have with people around us. And we discover the meaning that God intends for our lives and then we give thanks to God because he is the one who deserves that. And so it's, just, it's helping to reset ourselves and reset our priorities. So I'm going to close on this today. Um, I just want to encourage you today. You know, Sukkot's beginning tomorrow evening and I, my encouragement for you is to plan over your next week, to spend time with family and friends. And, and do so around a common table, if you're able to. Um, you know, you still have your day job to go to. Not every, some of you might take the whole week off, I don't know. But um, you may still have your day job to go to, but then at the end of the day, go and enjoy friendship with people that you love. Go enjoy a relationship and build that relationship. Invite some people over to your house. Or be ready to say yes when someone invites you over this week. Be ready to say yes and go to their house. Be ready to enjoy the important aspects of your life that God has given you on this earth. Put your phone away. 
You know, maybe take a social media fast and just you know, put all that stuff away and just enjoy the people that are in front of you in the moments that they're in front of you that God has given to you and, 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 and build on that relationship that he has given to you. And do so around the dinner table. That's the easiest place to do so. Enjoy that time together. You know, after all, just think about this. In this festival, we are, we're doing a rehearsal. God has given us these times as a rehearsal, a rehearsal for when we're all going to sit in the sukkah with Yeshua himself, and there's going to be a table there, and we're going to be in communion with him in true joy. And if you don't know how to sit around a table and commune with other people, you might struggle with that with Yeshua too. Go be with Yeshua's people. Communion with them this week. Learn how to do that with them. And when Sukkot is over, this is my second encouragement to you, when Sukkot is over, consider how you might be able to incorporate, incorporate those habits that you've been working on this week. You know, elevating relationships above other things. Our relationships are so important. Elevating those relationships above other things. And you know, Solomon, he tells us to fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. And God has built into his commandments a lifestyle that elevates relationships above, other, above things. Okay? It elevates relationships with other people. And God has built this into us. He has paired this with us. You know, loving God is the first and greatest commandment. And then what do we do? We love our neighbor. Right? Love our neighbor as ourselves. These are relationships. And your closest neighbors are going to be the people that you live with. Or in the people that may be in your extended family, the people you see most often. It might be your actual physical next-door neighbor, too. Um, and that's fine. In this community, we are neighbors with each other, even if we don't live physically next door to each other. We are neighbors with each other. So I just want you to enjoy this time. And that's my encouragement, is to enjoy this week. Take the pleasure in the relationships that you have. Don't just talk about mindless things when you're together, but really dwell on God and uh, the eternal the God that we serve and praise him. Dwell in Yeshua. Dwell in his return. He's the living water. He is the light of the world. He is the vine that nourishes us. Savor that. Savor the Ruach, the spirit that lives within you. Lives within each one of us. Allow it to permeate the fellowship that you have this week. That's my encouragement to you. Just, re just remember that God chose the simple things in life to confound the wise. This is a simple thing that God wants us to enjoy. He took the common events of life and he gave them lasting meaning and joy. So we might have a vapor, we might have a havel, right? A havel, a vapor, is not bad in and of itself. It's the surreality of life. It's not bad. And it can, in fact, be really good because those short moments are good and they're what we want to enjoy, those things that happen right in front of you. But we can't store them up, okay? We can't save them for the future. So just enjoy them this week. And I'll close with the words of a very wise man, Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Amen.